Um, but what if you go out and you take some fucking time and find a diverse recruiting firm and yes, they exist and maybe, yeah, you pay them a little bit more, God forbid. And you do this really thoughtful process. Like we're actually doing that work now because I'm so sick of hearing from people that we just can't, we can't find the black, we can't find the Negroes. Like there's, we just don't know where they are. And it's like, oh, they're on LinkedIn. Like you are too, you know, it's so, yeah. You have to click the special black button, but they're there. What's up everybody. Welcome to another episode of Equality Matters. I'm your host, Mandy Bynum. Today's guest, is Jabu Dayton, the principal and founder of Jabu HR. She advises and consults with startups who support their people to be heard, developed, and well taken care of. Formerly the founding HR leader at Airbnb, TaskRabbit, Ship, and Abstract. She has expertise in employee relations, coaching for tough situations or exit strategies. Uh, she does CEO and founder support and helps with role expansion. And she's most often engaged to advise around preventative strategies to retain culture during rapid scaling, plus building inclusion into company culture as an early practice. So she's not a DNI person. She's an HR person and helps businesses get this right from the beginning. She advises on recruiting, payroll, products, tools, and performance review processes. Uh, it was such an honor today to talk to my guest, Jabu Dayton. Her career story alone is inspiring. We talked about the subtle barriers for people with non-traditional backgrounds who want to get into tech, about the not really so tough choices she's made around standing up for people who have been discriminated against while she was in HR, and how ultimately she was fired for doing what we would expect the job of HR to be, which is to protect and advocate for employees. Jabu started her, again, quotes, tech career at Airbnb, which just went through a recent IPO. And she talks about how she got into Airbnb from a retail company, a very, very large retail company, and how she worked through those fears associated with that transition. And the ones that you may not expect if you've never been through a transition like this. Um, and it, it's honestly, it's not that I don't deeply care for my HR contemporaries, although we, we sometimes do disagree from time to time. Um, Jabu is literally my idol for how people, businesses, HR, business partner teams should actually operate. Uh, she's like kind of an Andre 3000 in a world full of HR mumble rap, in my mind. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Her, her integrity is palpable. Uh, we also touched on what being a light-skinned black woman means for Jabu including the journey all of us as biracial kids go through around identity and cultural belonging. Uh, more importantly, Jabu talks about what her unearned privilege is, how that influences her daily choices. Um, if you are thinking about moving into tech, moving into a startup or, or a scale-up company, or have been in the tech game for a minute and want to hear and or see what a real boss looks like, this episode's for you. Enjoy. I guess what would be helpful is not to get your whole career story, but I would love to get a, like, how did, how did we get Jabu here? How did Jabu get here? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I just have always been someone, I mean, at, you know, in fourth grade reading Malcolm X, like I was just kind of a precocious kid and I was, pretty sure injustice had been done. The other book that I read with Sacagawea, which is, if anyone's read that, um, you know, it's like a 500 page book about all of the things that were done to the, the people that are indigenous to this land. And, and so at a very young age, that's 10 or 11, I guess, I don't know, but like I could even speak to those things. And I started to look around my world and say, you know, why, why are these people like this and treating others like that? And so, whether that was good or bad, I'm not sure, but it created a very keen sense of the world needs to be better. And and then somehow with my personality um, came the sense that I was responsible for making it better, which doesn't always come in the same package, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, so I started without really like a clear vision or idea of what my work would be, but in college, 
I went to a primarily all-white college and um, the middle of nowhere in Washington State. And it was a college that had been dedicated, actually. Uh, it, it, the land had been purchased from the indigenous tribe, and the commitment was with the land that they would always educate a certain number of the tribe's members at the college. And, and that was not a fulfilled agreement for whatever reason. Um, but I very quickly got involved in the politics and campus and there was a, an African descent group called the Moja and that took over any sort of academic study that I might have had and became kind of my main passion. Um, and I was a couple years younger than most people um, who are in college and so I wasn't, I was also learning how to articulate myself and how to learn how to speak and how to how to deal with the anger of witnessing what I saw as injustice mm -hmm. and 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 people who didn't care primarily because they didn't have to. Yeah. Um, so from there, I bounced around and made my way into um, a retail, a large retail company that's based in the Northwest and um, progressively kind of entered into human resources. And this became a, a, what felt like a legitimate way to kind of channel a lot of those energies around. How do I support people? How do I give back? How do I give someone a voice that's not being paid properly? Um, and the recruiting functions, the people operations functions, um, just the massive size of that store. The store was anywhere from 700 to 1,000 people, and the company itself was 40,000 people. So I was, was learning not only- Store 425. Sorry to interrupt you. I was at store one. Ooh, I was at store one, okay. actually. <laughs> but we do have history there. We do have a little bit of history there. And so that family of which we speak would be sort of wandering the halls and, um, you know, very disconnected from what was happening, um, I might say. But um, again, that was where I learned, you know, people started to come to me for solutions. And well, Jabu is the one that you can trust to go try, at least try to take care of this for you. Um, and so I, I liked being known that way, I, that that became sort of my, we didn't call it brand back then, but that was something I was proud of and could really sink my teeth in. Selling shoes was not uh, impressive to me. Uh, you know, as as you can see, I, I fit in to a certain extent, but then I, I've always just been myself and um, I got promoted to a certain extent because of that, but didn't probably toe the line well enough. And I started feeling victimized by that experience. and. Um, I did end up getting myself fired after I kind of took to task a, a manager of mine that I felt had, was discriminating against an African-American woman and um, had bias and was treating other people differently for doing things that were much, much worse than this woman had done. This woman to date has no idea that that I chose to stand for her and, and in, in as a result lost my job. But, you know... HR is supposed to be the person in the room when employees aren't there that stands for them, right? And and you can trust to advocate for them. That is my way of interpreting what HR does. Um, and and I'm still proud of that. Like, if you're going to get fired, that's a pretty cool reason to get fired for. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of my history. After getting fired, I went to South Africa, where my mother is from. My mother is from um, Durban and the Zulu tribe, and I had always wanted to go back there. Um, my parents met there and um, tried to start a business for a couple years. Um, didn't fit in too well there either. Um, and the business itself was kind of an epic failure. And so I, as I was coming back, uh, someone sent me a link for a place to live at a little company called Airbnb. And they were like, yeah, it's this cool place where you can stay in other people's homes. and Again, I was traveling and, and living on the road with my dog and, and I needed a dog friendly place. And I was so disinvested in living in the US at that time that I didn't know where I would go or where I would wanna go. I had friends in LA, so I headed there. And on the way, I started doing Skype interviews for a job that I saw at Airbnb that, that spoke to me. Uh, actually, the only thing I was even remotely qualified for, which was helping to manage the customer service team. Um, and I didn't know anything about tech. I was 41 years old. I did not want to do HR ever again after this retail company experience. Um, but the concept of, you know, I, I thought in my mind, 
in, in America, black folks didn't always have hotels they could stay at, right? When we traveled across the country, you sometimes had to stay at strangers' homes. And I thought, this is a perfect way for anyone of any economic standing to monetize something they have in their home, whether that's a couch or a spare bedroom. So the concept just spoke to me. Mm -hmm. Three months of interviewing later, I started there. And then that has started my last 11 years of tech sort of career experience, um, five or six of those being with my own co consultant company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I think there's... It, there's a few things that come out of that. One, I talked to so many people who, I think we talked about this last time, who want to like get into tech um, yes. and who are who have had jobs at more traditional retailers or more traditional mm -hmm. large corporations and have been mm -hmm. felt jaded. Not that necessarily tech's any better in terms of culture, but have felt jaded by traditional and want to get into something yep. that's more, you know, progressive, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But like they don't know where to start. Um, so yeah. I want to get there in a second, but first I want to yeah. uh, travel back a, a couple, a couple sure. uh, steps. And um, after you left the large retailer, what, and went mm -hmm. to South Africa, there was a lot of stuff going on yeah. personally. Like what was yeah. it? What was there like an anchor that mm. kept you like, okay, this is this, what was your North star uh, during that yeah. time? Cause that can be really traumatic. Yeah, excellent question. So it actually was the hardest, one of the hardest times in my life, 13 year career at that retail company. I was fired like I stole something. Like people had no idea. I had people stop speaking to me because they assumed I had done something heinous. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a boatload of folks that, you know, these were hundreds of people that I helped support at the store um, in Seattle. And Seattle's kind of a small community. Um, I also had tons of folks that reached out to me regardless, but my father died half like 30 days after I had been fired. And so I had, I had no money. I had no savings. My pops was gone. My pops was the, the parent that I had the closest relationship with um, in, in an accident. So it was really sudden. And it was 2008. Nobody was hiring. And then they would look at my experience and they would say, well, you're overqualified. Why would you want this job? Right? So I have a huge issue with people claiming people are, are, are overqualified because I think that's nonsense. But um, so my North Star is, I don't know, to be honest, I've just, I've had so many ups and downs in my life, financially, emotionally, you know, what, what have you. There's just something inside of me that if, if you tell me I'm wrong, I might consider it, but on the whole, if I've come to a decision, I'm generally going to still believe I'm right. So, you know, I, I have a memory from being fired from that retail store and the VP of HR spent two hours trying to get me to take back what I was telling her about my boss at the time, two hours. And, um, and I just, I, I just kept saying, no, I'm sorry. This is the truth. There's something in me that just won't move unless ethically, I think it's the right thing to do. And so similarly, I I went back to kind of my foundation and, and I think of my African heritage as my foundation. Um, it's how I am identified. It's how I choose to identify. I don't consider myself, I, obviously my father is white, but that's not my personal identity or how I move through the world. Um, I obviously have tons of entitlement and opportunities based on the lightness of my skin, how I was raised, educational opportunities, yada, yada. But um, those two things are not the same to me. Like my, my cultural identity and how I move in my life again is, is really centered around this African um, background. And so I was like, it's time, time to go home, time to get to know what I thought was home. And it was a really good experience for me, actually, to have to take Africa off of the pedestal and say, all right, this isn't actually my home. I'm African-American, first generation. That is very different than a South African culture or even the time of life when I moved there was 39. I was not married. There were a lot of things that just didn't work in that culture and I didn't fit in in, in lots of ways. And so, again, like, even though for some people they would be like, well, then I need to fit in more. <laughs> But for me, I've always been comfortable saying, yeah, well, maybe you're wrong. Maybe I'm right. Like, I prefer to think I'm right. So I'm going to go find a place where people like me and where I fit in. 
And that's typically been the journey. And, and that I might be crazy. Like, it's kind of weird to, to always consistently go back to your own compass. But that's how I coach people mm -hmm. now is like, listen to yourself. Don't, don't always listen to everybody telling you you need to go to this school and have this background and know this um, because none of that is actually true. It, I don't know if that answers it your does. Um, it it okay. does, and I think you're so right. And also there are so many different types of messages that try to enforce the opposite. And when yeah. you were saying like, you have to go to this particular school, mm -hmm. like if you're a white dude, you probably do. Yep. <laughs> uh, yep. Because that's yep. the pedigree and you look like everyone else. For us though, like right. we're not gonna right. get hired based on where we went to school, even if it was Harvard. That's right. Uh, so why that's try to fit yeah. some sort of mold? And I, I do believe yeah. that we have been doing that for generations. Um, we have, we have. Uh, and it's, and so yeah. uh, that's kind of how I wanna segue into your journey both as like having light skin having the privilege mm -hmm. that you do with the work mm -hmm. that you do um yeah. for me personally yeah. like there's a lot of guilt associated with it there is a lot of responsibility yeah. um sure. and, yeah so tell that what that process has been like yeah i think it's a little easier for me because i'm first mm -hmm. gen and i think that thank you I, I can claim that you know i know what tribe my mother's from like there's some of that but again it, it's not no zulu would consider me zulu so i don't also fit into that so the heritage flows from the father and so you know it's a little tough to try to hold on to to an identity that's not claiming you yeah. but i think again like if you think about the things that refine you and craft you and develop your character in life Often it's the contrast, often it's the lack of, often it's the, the very things that you think are quote unquote wrong. And it sounds corny, but like it's the fires that you come through that burn off the bullshit and, and you're either gonna be steel or you're gonna melt. And you mm -hmm. just have to, and, and maybe sometimes you do both. Like it, it's not like it's always one way or the other, but for me, it's been a process of hardening around um, who my identity is and then actually softening around, you know, not beating myself up around what I can't be, which is have more melanin than I was gifted with. And thank God I got the amount that I got. Right. But, um, and, and for you, it, it, for anyone, and this includes white people, like the most important thing is like, what are you fucking doing now? Like, yes, you are entitled and you've gotten this, that, and the other, but like, are you opening doors for people where you are? Or are you just sitting back and, bringing in a trainer and hoping the bias, you know, goes away. Like I, I, I have white friends that are doing this work really intensely um, and confronting it, bias and racism and, and discrimination and all of the things, the shins uh, in, in other white people. And I actually think that's where it has to start. You and I can talk until we're blue in the face. We can go to Harvard, we can jump through the hoops, we can, learn to speak the way they want us to speak. We can learn to look the way. We, we've done all these things, right? For generations, we've been doing this. The results are not too impressive, but racism as a construct, white supremacy as a construct, is white generated. It has to be shut down by white people, uh -huh. is, is my opinion. And being half white, this is where I claim some sort of superior knowledge because <laughs> I've lived and grown up in mostly all white situations my whole life. And uh, the most liberal of white people still carry this contamination with them, as do people of color and other types of difference. But this is something they have to eradicate in themselves. So if we can let go of, of you know, beating ourselves up about what we don't have and what we will never have in this lifetime then we get to look at great what what do i have the opportunity to do like i can do a podcast like this i can write material in my work every fucking day i can acknowledge people who are trying to speak and make sure that they're heard i can hire people i can give people opportunities um i can just guide people the way i was not guided no one opened the door for me really i mean obviously we don't do anything in life alone but there hasn't been a space that I've walked into and tech was very much this way where I wasn't scared to death of what I didn't know. The trick is and the beauty of being person of color and being black, I think, is that just to leave your house means confronting a, a variety of fears, right? So 
if you if you just kind of settle settle with that and understand how much you already know context switching you know controlling the fear putting your face on and walking through those doors regardless you're ready for anything mm. right so true oh my gosh um you were saying earlier about like what what the fuck are we doing um mm -hmm. what i often hear from from some of our white allies and i'll get into like mm -hmm. the the energy that we feel when someone like actually gets it but when yeah. when you get that like but what can i do and this sense that like mm -hmm. we have to solve everything i think what you were yeah. saying like okay. we have to go through that process ourselves and like what is my skill set what can right. i do i can't march i'm not going to march it's not a thing but like right. how can i use the the skills that i do have so when yeah. you're when you have worked with folks in the past like are mm -hmm. there some of those people who are like okay i'm going to i'm going to grab onto this white ally cuz i think they get it mm -hmm. or they're close enough or mm -hmm. like have there been times where you thought that and they were like i actually have to cut you off i can't be your friend anymore oh. cuz you're not going to get it yeah every every white male ceo or female ceo ceo or coo that i work for mm -hmm. i think they get in the beginning like i fall in love with everything that they're saying mm -hmm. and i'm so ready i'm so ready to see this in them and they want to be this also so it, you know we we attract what we attract this is the reality and i for myself i'm i'm at a stage where i am attracting progressively better white folks but we're not over the hill yet like there's still, there's still this disconnect between like, you know, the talking and the doing. And it, and again, I, I just think like, I don't feel like I have a choice. I guess they feel like they do. And maybe that's like the difference. I, I do know black people that also are like, it's not my problem. Like, you know, I'm here to get money and that's it. Yeah. And I actually respect that too. Like we should all get money. Um, and you should be able to pick how you want to move in the world. And, and I totally get it. But with white people, like this would be the primary thing on my mind is not continuing to engage in white supremacy and not somehow even unknowingly furthering those efforts. Um, but yeah, I would say every client I work with initially, I'm like, these guys get it. Uh, the, the CPO roles or chief people officer roles that I've taken and gone in house for, you know, You'll, people look at my LinkedIn and they're like, wow, you've been, you know, we've been a lot of places and I guarantee if I'm not there anymore, it's because there's some disconnect with this. Mm -hmm. There's some fundamental disconnect with, you know, like how do, deep do we really want to go? Like um, when it comes to promoting your buddy versus promoting this woman, even white women, because white women are still dealing with some of this to a, to a much lesser degree mm -hmm. um, than, than black women. But um, there's still like this hesitation, like, wow, she just haven't, I haven't, you know, she seems so, she's not tactical enough or she's not strategic enough. Like there's always an excuse. Mm -hmm. And then the woman has to prove herself in ways that Sean over here didn't have to jump through hoops to do and got promoted immediately and got paid, you know, insane amounts of money. And so th there's still this like, and I, I don't know how you how you deal with that other than helping them to understand and see it. And then if they don't see it and they don't take actions to rectify it, I'm not sticking around. Mm -hmm. and, That's the deal with me. Yeah. And I feel like it inevitably happens. The the differences I've seen in mm -hmm. those who I guess get it, who I who I keep in my life are those yeah. for whom have have allowed me to correct them and yeah and not only allow me to correct them but allow me to ask the hard questions and they actually think about right. it and then change mm -hmm. whereas yeah there are others where there's moments there's like those key moments of truth like you said and there's like always mm -hmm. some excuse um right and i think what the biggest thing is job is like we could i think we talk about that scenario all the time like there mm -hmm. we just you know we just ended up hiring the person we know because et cetera, et cetera. And I think mm -hmm. that people hear that, but they don't actually yeah. get where they, where they gave up or where right. they stopped. And it's often right. like you, it's one hiring the person that you're not comfortable with and then being yeah. uncomfortable while. Right. Right. And you know, it, it's a hard, that's, that's not an easy ask of anyone, mm -hmm. it, ourselves included. Like we also want to work with people we're comfortable with and you know, all of those things. So. 
I can also see both sides of it, but I see folks coming up. Like I met with a CEO um, yesterday, 36, and his company, it's just 12 people, but it's already diverse. Like he's, and he's from, you know, England and he's just doing his thing, but like, he's just, he's just making sure that each hire is really intentional. So then if he hires me to help him scale that, if I invite you to come work with us, you're not walking into an all white room. Like it just, it's so ass backwards to still be building your company like that. It's so lazy and sloppy. And it, it generally, again, it's just a lack of looking at this framework intellectually. Like you hire some white recruiters, you hire a white recruiting firm, most of them are white recruiting firms. They don't know how to hire people of color if they even have any in their network themselves, um, which they don't typically. Like if you're looking for them to hire, to bring you uh, diverse candidates, you have to really fight for it. And generally speaking, HR people don't have a lot of time. So mm -hmm. you you're, you have to pick and choose what you're going to focus on. And then you kind of hope for the best sometimes. Well, typically that you're not going to get great results and you're paying these people 80 to 100K to find you someone quickly. Of course, it's always quickly. Um, but what if you go out and you take some fucking time and find a diverse recruiting firm and yes, they exist. And maybe, yeah, you pay them a little bit more. God forbid, and you do this really thoughtful process. Like we're actually doing that work now because I'm so sick of hearing from people that we just can't, we can't find the black, we can't find the Negroes. Like there's, we just don't know where they are. And it's like, oh, they're on LinkedIn. Like you are too, you know, it's so, yeah. You I have know, to click so the tricky. special black button, but they're there. <laughs> well, yeah. And maybe we need to create our own fucking platform. Like I'm just, anyway, so, um, so so I've now I have a, a recruiting division, which is my amazing friend, Leslie, who's Latinx, Peruvian, first gen, um, a baller. And she's just like, this is her focus and passion in life among many other things. But so she brings me the quality candidates that I need to show these people like here. And then it's really tough to make that excuse or that argument anymore. But there's plenty of companies, even with well-meaning folks who are like, yeah, the first hundred people we hired are all people that I've worked with at past companies. Like I trust them. I know them. That's what I want to do. I am literally seeing like, it happen what? right now with someone I know. I'm like, oh, it's so painful yeah. to watch. So painful. Very painful to watch. Um, Very painful to watch. And yeah. so I want to ask you more about when you went to Airbnb, I, yeah. I think another thing that I, I want to get your opinion on is, is mm -hmm. one talent acquisition. I often like, they're not my first priority because they just kind of like okay. cast the net and try to right. find people of color and bring them in. And they're like, okay, well I can't do anything other than that. Like I, I, right. I I'm not interviewing and, and to a certain extent right. that's correct. Um, what I think it, where the breakdown is, is, what, like you were saying, hiring managers, like, are they doing anything to get to know people? And also like right. not being intentional around what's this job description look like? And actually yeah. like these, here are the, the things that people do, but like, what right. is it, what are the qualities of person that we're looking mm -hmm. for? And I, I, yeah. I, even as I'm saying that I can like see people's mm -hmm. over of like, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And don't actually get that. Yeah. It's like, it's more, it, as, so when you when you took your position, like yes, you had HR experience, but mm -hmm. you went into customer service, and like some people don't really see right. how aligned those two roles are. Yeah, yeah, and I I use the whole this retail company that I worked for was known for customer service, and so I was like, well, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing, but I'll fucking figure it out. Right. Like I've got 13 years in this space, like I'll be damned if I can't figure it out. Um, but I still suffered from a lot of the same, you know, complexes that we have around like being intimidated to speak to the CEO who was a decade younger mm. than me at, at a minimum. They were all under 30 when I joined. Um, and I was the only one of the very few people there that had professional experience prior to that. Mm. So um, I just started doing HR work. I was like, you're paying your customer service people salaries they should be paid hourly like and we got to back pay them you know 
two years of back pay for what you didn't pay them for overtime. Uh And then I would have the customer service people fighting me on that because they felt like having a salary (laughs) was more impressive than having an hourly job, right? Like these are the ignorant things that we do to ourselves. And it's like, then when they saw the paychecks and they saw the retro pay, they were like, okay, I get it. But there's things like this that we do to ourselves within these institutions or organizations where it's like, you know, (laughs) it's painful sometimes, right? But it's like, what if I can get you, you know, $500 more a month based on the overtime? Isn't that better than getting this corny ass salary? And we need to get you equity too. Airbnb didn't pay their people, their customer service people equity at the time. Um, So anyway, there's, again, it's my personal nature, like, this is wrong, like, we got to fix this, that no matter how nervous or intimidated I am, I'm really an introvert, I would much rather be like working quietly behind the scenes, but I can't let myself when I see something going on that feels wrong to Mm -hmm. me. Um, And so at Airbnb, I played that same that same role. Um, Culture and a lot of the things that they've been known for now, like some of that was, you know, very undeveloped, you know, it or it came from a perspective that was very lacking in some of the inclusion that um, that I was able to bring to the table. And I was definitely not alone in that, but it just made better sense to me to do things, to hire diversely, to hire different ages, to hire people with work experience instead of just straight out of college. But I hired plenty of people straight out of college too. I just, it's a combination of, to your point, looking for certain things in people. And then also like they need to be fucking ready to roll. Like you need to know how to talk. You need to know how to write your resume. You need to use Grammarly if you are dyslexic like me. You know, it's like no excuses, like be as polished and precise as you can. So when you walk in, there's nothing they can question. But, you know, what would be best is that those doors are open and we're really considering people carefully what often happens is you're scaling rapidly and there's no one on the, there's no one like me on the other side of that that's saying i want to be intentional uh-huh. about this too uh-huh. and so at the same time that i'm calling that out in in because i'm talking about lots of companies now i also no i am going to hold people responsible like if you don't fucking know this shit by now i i don't know when you will like i don't care it, all the more true for the 24 year old recruiter like you know what you're doing so act right yeah Cause it can get out of hand so I fast. Heard. I get a lot of the clients I have, they're 200 people. It's like, yeah, this only happened this year. It's like, what? Yeah. No. And it's almost really by 200 people. It's really tough. It's really tough. Black people don't want to go work at all white places anymore. Like that doesn't seem like fun to them. So how am I going to attract the type of candidates? Like, what am I going to promise them? Yeah. This is an inclusive culture no it's fucking not oh wait no 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 we have europeans here we are inclusive we've got people from all over the world like no i'm sorry you're gonna really need to do better than that to become an attractive space to candidates that are this top notch and then on top of that from a smaller pool of candidates Mm -hmm. and they're not used to needing to sell to us so then there becomes a push and pull between well i don't want to spend more money on this when i can just hire white people inexpensively How about that? How about that flip? Um, but I want to repeat yeah. what you said that by 200 okay. people, if you haven't been intentional about hiring for diversity, you fucked up. Yeah. It's really hard to turn that it's around. Not, you don't have a board. Your board is all white, male, and Asian. Maybe you've got a woman, but it's very rare. If she's a woman, she's a white woman or Asian woman. Mm-hmm. Typically, still, executive teams are all male. If you have a woman, she's white or Asian. And then you're trying to hire me as your CPO? No. Hell no. Let me just fall off the glass cliff right now. Yeah. There's not enough money in the world. Which is kind of a beautiful thing to be able to say now, because like <laughs> I have not had a lot of money in my life, and like, but now I'm happy and delighted to turn down opportunities like mm-hmm. that, uh, and happy if there's somebody else that's brown and you know doing their thing that wants to take them. Like, good for you. I do not have the patience, the tolerance, or the time. Mm-hmm. 
So that's something that companies don't understand. Like if you're going to delay this and just, you know, continue to, to be discriminating because it, it is discriminatory. People like to say, ah, no, we just ended. No, 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 no. You, you, every single person you hired is a choice. Mm-hmm. And you are discriminating. And, oh, no, no, but I needed to hire them really quickly. Like we just, we have this gap. Well, like two, two to three weeks more would not have killed you or the company. I'm sorry. Like tap the brakes and do what's right. Like in this country, it is not for a lack of knowledge that we discriminate. We know our own history. We know how this country was founded on oppression. Every choice we make now, we should be held responsible for. And I don't care if you're a white dude that went to Harvard or Stanford. If you're trying to tell me that you are ignorant in this area of your own history and your own country's history, um, but you're smart about everything else, like, I I pity you. I, I genuinely pity you because there's so much easy access to information here. You don't need to go back to Frederick Douglass or anybody else. Like, just fucking look in the news. Like, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know. I can't, like, I can't, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not as tolerant as, as maybe I should be if I were a true Zen Buddhist type person, but I'm still like, you know, there's still the warrior side. That's like, not. Nah, I need to be here to stand up for people. And, it, and, and I, I do want to say like, I do have white male CEOs or white, like I even have one CEO who's Latinx, but he presents as white. So people don't know he's of color and he moves in his life as a white person. So, but they do let, I, I speak to them just as I am speaking to you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they take it, but still fundamentally there's some disconnect often between like hearing me being direct and then being able to apply it to behavior or like I recently fired a private equity firm um, who's all white and all Asian and I had been with them for a year and there's literally no difference in their demographics or their hiring processes as a, re- as a result of me being there to, to advise and consult. Um, and they were so surprised by that. Like they, they were, and then pissed off that I would, you know, choose to, to, to leave. But he said to me, you know, you just haven't been direct enough. And I was like, I, I, you know, that's not even possible. (laughs) That's not even, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know anymore, like how to be small. Like, I don't even know how to move that way. Like, and I'm 50 years old. And there is something about turning 50 where you're just like, I don't give a fuck. They're all on the floor. Every day you wake up, yeah. it's one more. Every day. That's right. So. Oh, that 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 makes me giggle. Uh, on I that, do too. <laughs> uh, I kind of lost my train of thought because it was so funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who knows me would be laughing uproariously at that. I mean, he couldn't really get it out with straight face either. The thing is, like, you know, the man likes me, like, genuinely likes me. He Twice a week, we would meet for two hours. And you kind of tell me you were able to not hear anything I said in the, and, and he, and that is, that's what I find so fascinating about racism and white supremacy is, like, it takes a real intellectual commitment to not hear what's being said to you by, by really intelligent people. And I think if I were a white person, that's the kind of, you know, I, I would be trying to, to dig, you know, like, how is this even possible? Uh-huh. But I also think the truth of the matter, the sad truth of the matter is for you and I may represent the only black people they know. I may literally be the only black friend that he has and I work for him. Uh-huh. Yep. You know? Yep. I always remember a white guy uh, telling me that black people, African people in South Africa were, were happy. This was during apartheid. He was like, oh, no, no, they're quite happy. And I was like, oh, so, you, so you're, you're friends with some South African folks. And he was like, well, yeah, 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 definitely. And I was like, oh, so how do you know them? Oh, well, the maid and the gardener at the house of my friend, you know, and they told me like they're, they're completely happy with the way things are. Um, that that power dynamic I think is so hard for people to see especially for the new white man I don't want to throw you off your train of thought but I call him the new white man but this is the 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 man that is trying not to be the oppressor who is 
trying not to be that guy who wants to be woke mm -hmm. or whatever, however he expresses that, uh, who thinks of himself as highly educated, because uh, the, the, the more educated you think you are, the less room there is to learn. Right. Um, and even though they don't know any black people or have any black friends, they have watched movies with black people in them. And so they think that they, so, but white people still live very segregated lives for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and so they really don't, and, and I'm not talking about so they can ask us dumb questions. Like I'm not here, I don't do that with my white friends either, quite honestly. Um, but I'm just talking about reminding each other that we are all human in this fundamental way that like, if, if you see a cop pulling me over and taking advantage of me in some way that's not safe, if you're witnessing that, that you say, maybe I have a responsibility to make sure she's okay. Mm -hmm. She's my neighbor. Yeah. And what, how I've seen this manifest is a couple ways in with those woke leaders. It's like, well, I, I talked to, you know, uh, Dion and he told me like stuff's fine. Oh, yes. You know, I, I like, wanted to know about yes. his experience. He told me all about his experience, but it's like, that may be great and good on you, but like, yeah. there's still a dynamic there that you have to understand that that person is telling you what you want to hear because That's even right. if you have a great relationship, just like you were saying, like we can yeah. be as direct as possible, but it's like, I still work for you. That's right. It's the power dynamic that, that I actually have CEOs that refuse to see that. They say, no, 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 I, I'm a CEO, but I'm just a regular guy. I'm a CEO, but I'm just and they're like, no, in, in the structure of your company, you are the most powerful person in the company and you're a founder. And in, in the startup world, people give even more credence to founders sometimes than they do to titles. And, and again, I think back to myself at 41, working for these guys all under 20, and I was literally scared to go talk to them sometimes, you know, which I don't think they were at all aware of, like you couldn't see that, but that meant I had a very limited interaction. We were not friends and I could not go to them when I really needed to and had serious concerns. And so by the time I realized that I had created a situation that was untenable for, for an HR person to not be able to be heard by her CEO, um, it was too late. It was too late. And so it's it's not all one sided. Like now with my CEOs, I know we're equals. I have no doubt about that. Like there's no one that I think is above me in any way. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're starting, we have an opportunity to start as friends uh, and as peers if, if the relationship earns mm -hmm. that title, right? But that's not going to be true for the vast majority of employees that they have. And I'm a consultant. I can quit tomorrow. Yeah. That's freedom. Yeah. They don't have. Yeah. And so I, so. I want to talk more about that. I, I think in my work and probably your work as well, it, it's like 50% talking to white people about their stuff, but it's, there's a big chunk of, of, I've talked to so many black women who I've mentored or coached who I'm like, get out of your own head. And yeah. like, there's so many things to unlearn. And I feel like those are even more difficult. Right. Um, For sure. Because there's so, okay. there's so much to unpack and, yeah. and them taking responsibility for that, yeah. I think is really hard mm -hmm. too. For yeah. Us taking responsibility for our own destiny That's is hard. Right. For sure. Cause like I'm owed, I'm sure. owed this, uh, yeah. Reparation. Yes, I don't know why I forgot the word. Yeah. Um, so I want to know like yeah, about and I, how that works, how you've seen that. Yeah. And the, and the thing about life is both things are true. You know, life is not fair. And that was one of the most disappointing things that I learned as a kid. Right. It's like you, you read these books, you read these, you hear these fairy tales, like there's this, this, this image of what this country is supposed to be about equity and fairness. Life is not fair. So then if, if I start from there and I start from what I now work with, it's like that no one owes me anything. Um, I actually do much better mm -hmm. than, than when I was operating with the theory that you, you, you deserve to make room. Like I deserve a place at the table and you owe me a place at the table and I should sit at the table. And, um, and it's not necessarily that that's not true. So, so it's just a complicated 
thing, which life is. It's just not black and white. And in my mind, I would be much easier if it was black and white. Like I would feel more at ease. So the reality is we, we all, we, we dance together. We dance together. So at Airbnb, as an example, I didn't sit at the table because I walked away. And I see this with, with uh, sisters I coach all the time, right? It's like, you get so irritated and tired of these people that you don't want to go to another meeting with them and say the same thing you said for the last, you know, 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're still there. Like, um, productive, like we're still here, are you fucking kidding? So you, that you stop going to the meetings. You start turning down, then they, then they say, well, Jabu's not available. You know, our HR person's not accessible to us. And now, and now you're on a very down where, you know, that's not one you can win. Um, so the immediate satisfaction of like, whew, I dodged another dumbass meeting, mm -hmm. you know, evolves into you stepped away from the, the table now. Now you're not invited. Mm -hmm. They don't include you. Up. And so I had to learn that the hard way. And I'm sad to say I didn't learn it. Like, through, like one experience should have been enough. But the beautiful part about the startup world is that even if you come through the door irregularly or from some position that doesn't look like it's going to end up being like I did at the, the at Airbnb, the head of HR, um, there's there are more opportunities, I believe, there than in, in the corporate space. Agreed. To sit at the table, right? And so, and you know, Airbnb just IPO'd last week or the week before, and that's going to significantly change my life. Now, it's taken ten years for that those seeds that I planted, mm -hmm. that work, blood, sweat, and tears that I put in to evolve into something. Um, but that's what I want for us. It's like go work somewhere and learn this, and and yeah, there might be some quote unquote suffering in that. That's how we learn, right? Contrast, but you know, get the equity. Mm -hmm. And if, it, if you think the company is going to do well, borrow some money from somebody to, to buy it. And then like you could make a couple million dollars off of those two years in a corporate situation. That's never going to fucking yeah, happen. But it's so attractive because so, it's safe. It seems safe. You get the benefits. And we, 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 this is the thing that's so ironic with black folks. It's like, we're never safe. We are never, there's, there's like, if you want to think that you're safe in this world, it is literally because you have taken the time to meditate, to do your yoga and like calm your, your nervous system down just to like choose to believe in something. Right. And then that thing will become true, obviously. But it's like the reality is we live in a very unsafe world and I would rather take that risk than invest in my 401k. And I have. And I would rather buy a house than invest in my 401k. And like, there's financial advisors like, no, that's not the way to go. But I want something tangible that I can put my arms around, right? And I understand why we're scared. I understand like sometimes you're just tired. But again, two years versus 13 years I spent at that retail company. Given what I know about myself, my own internal drive, my hustle, my ability to learn new things and retain new things and to, to lead people whether I want to or not, I can't imagine where I would be now if I had been working in a, in a startup. Yeah. All they could do is try to con contain me. You know, Jabu, you just, you need to be more like this. You need to be more like this. We need to see you smile more. We need to, you know, we just need to, and uh, some of those things were true, like how you present. Uh, the one thing this retail company always said was like perception is reality. Right. And I hated that yeah. because at the time I was at that stage, the black woman stage of like, you're so angry all the time. Like, what's wrong? Uh -huh. Like, you know, and so I did have to learn how to modulate that and how to put the face on and how to bring the, the proper energy. Um, so, again, we, we're always learning, but I'm just saying like, that was 10 years where I kind of knew my brain was rotting from disuse. Mm -hmm. So what kind of life are you going to have? Like, if anything, COVID and this pandemic should be really lighting a fire under people even more to walk away from supposed safety into a space where like, yeah, I've just got this, this one little bit of time. Let me, let me try to maximize the results. And guess what? You can't fail. Oh. That you can't slip off your path, can't make a mistake because everything's about learning. Yeah. So how do you, um, speaking of this past year, how do you think about 
kids who are either getting out of college or are earlier in their career who don't have mm -hmm. the in-office dynamic yeah. experience, the energy, and like how will that change? How will that begin to evolve or devolve um, the tech industry? And and what do you think that mm -hmm. uh, young folks will be, what kind of trauma do you think they'll be carrying with them um, through the next decade or so? Yeah, it'll just be different trauma than ours. Like, I don't know how it'll manifest. I think, and this is gonna sound, this is kind of some of my spiritual beliefs, but it's like, I think with any type of trauma, you can either go back and look at it and dig it up and like analyze it. Or you can say, yeah, I got this thing. I've got this like twitch, <laughs> you know? I'm gonna just, I know I got that twitch, but I'm gonna keep moving. Yeah. I just, I've never, I spent years looking at history, learning, you know, it's like, I do think that stuff is important, but I, you know, technically black folks have been through, there's no type of trauma that, that including viruses and pandemics that we have not been through that we haven't learned to navigate better as a result of, I really believe. Mm -hmm. I think the tech industry plus the pandemic plus, plus, plus whatever else, like, again, these are just opportunities. I've had more work this year, like, and at first it was like, I was kind of taking everything a little bit out of fear, like not knowing when yeah, more work same. would come. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, actually, this is, it's always going to be this way. Like, we just have to keep connecting with each other. Like, so-and-so has this opportunity for me, and then I have this opportunity for them. And like, you kind of have to be annoying with each other and be like, hey, I'm still here. Like, don't forget about me. And um, like, I tell people to do that with me. I'm like, I can't always respond to you. I don't always have time to chat with you, but like, remind me what the fuck you're looking for. So if I see it at one of my companies, I can try to get you in the door. Mm -hmm. um, there's hustle that like, that type of hustle and that type of like, being a little bit impervious to, to being embarrassed about asking for, and it's not even asking for help, but it's just like, I'm here. If you know anything, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. Like, don't expect me to remember that from last week when you told me. Right. Like, remind yeah. me. Yeah. I'm trying to help. So I don't have a, a desire to make you feel bad. Um, but I'm not going to remember everything about your life either. So, you know, hustle, hustle. How can you? And the thing that, like, I think a lot of us don't understand, it's, it's, it's like, I'll, I'll talk to people who seem to think that I owe them time or that I owe them. And I already, I already do chats all week long with, with folks that are interested. And so, but like, don't waste my time. Mm. Don't schedule something with me and then not show up, like act like a professional. And so there's certain things that I do, I do see this generation, you know, the impact of how you present on video. Like I'm breaking some of my own rules about how I showed up today because, um, my thing is like you need to be so polished when you get in front of that you know like don't don't let zoom be an excuse but to you show are up serving a look face. you're serving a look I, you know i'm like i kind of you know it kind of works like i'm doing the thing this is my black power you know See, it's intentional it's intentional um, it's intentional exactly but um but for work stuff like i don't show up at work like this mm -hmm. That's my puppy, Kaya. Yeah, I Hi, was Kaya. I was checking her out on Instagram. I went She's deep. sleepy. <laughs> but um, yeah, unfortunately, she's taken over the Instagram. But it's just, it's just becoming sharper. And it's like, I will help you, you know, do an interview. I will tell you what to wear. I will tell you how to style your hair. I will tell you how to do your makeup. And no, actually, it's not about straightening your hair in the Bay Area, in the tech space. It's it's about coming more natural. Right. That's not something you might know if you're coming from corporate world. Like you might still be rocking that wig or, you know, straightening the hair to the point that it's about to like. But, you know, it's like breathe, be yourself. Like don't you don't need to wear a suit but you need to look sharp and polished. Like, yeah. well, what does that mean? I don't know. Ask, you know, mm. ask and be intentional about who you're asking and be grateful about the time that they give you. But like, there are some of us out here who are completely fulfilled by giving back and we might not be able to give you a lot of time, but we can help you with a little bit. Mm -hmm. But 
I, I'm I'm rambling a little bit. I don't I'm I'm excited to see what the trauma is gonna bring because trauma just I've never seen it not bring better skills, better muscles, stronger. Like literally when you lift weights, you are tearing microfibers in your arm. It is not like I just start working out with the trainer again, so this is fresh in my mind. <laughs> I'm like, how did I lose this much ground in a, in just, you know, nine months? Yeah. Like bananas. I wanted to ask you though, <laughs> before we have to hop off, um, about how we're moving, we're like transitioning from this, what you were saying before is like, I'll tell you what to wear. I will tell you what to say. I'll tell you what kind of makeup to wear. But you're not anymore having to tell people to assimilate. And I think that is huge. And I think this generation, we're, whereas 10 years ago would have been like straighten your hair, don't talk about this, don't say y'all. Um, and that is, I think is really, really exciting for me um, and encouraging. Because I think I've gone through a, a process too where I felt I had to look a certain way or couldn't be my full self. And now it's less about not being your full self. It's more about do you have confidence in who you are? And that's, it's a journey for all of us, right? Like just talking about straightening hair and like feeling comfortable. I was talking to a friend, and this is totally an aside, it's a whole other podcast about like whether you, you see your partners, the people you engage with, with your hair not being done, even as a, as a person with natural hair, right? And I was like, no, like you're not gonna see my hair combed out in the fro. You see it when I've twisted it or it's pulled back or like it's still being adjusted to fit technically like some other idea of what, and that's just my hair. Like, why am I doing all that, right? Um, so we're all on different spectrums of this and we all have different reasons for doing it. And I don't wanna be judgmental about, you know, why you blew your hair out on this day versus work curly on another day, like be you. but. But there are actually even certain messages like that that are sent to white people because white people now know enough about us that they make certain inferences on you having straight hair too. And, and that's like, if you're talking about someone who's interviewing from like the East Coast where, or like let's say a financial background or like you straighten your hair, like that's what you do. And they're, the transition to even think about doing differently is is a tremendous leap. So there's just so much about this, right? Like, and this is the thing about black folks is like, we present in different ways and, and we have different stages of these journeys that we're on and they're all okay. But as you enter into this new tech space or this new kind of world, if there if there is a curiosity that you have about maybe being a different version of yourself, this is the place where you can do that. And that, to your point, is shows progress, shows momentum, and shows opportunity. Whereas what you're gonna have to ask yourself as a black woman, if, if we're in the same scenario around hair, is like, is it more comfortable for you now to do the straight thing, to fit in and like just, or put the wig on? I've been seeing a lot of wigs on Zoom. Um, like, you know, cause it's like, it's just easier, but then why is it easy? And like, why, why, like, I just, I want us to be, I want us to keep progressing with this and like, um, beauty and what's attractive and what's aesthetically pleasing. Like, I want us to define that more for ourselves, which we do all the time. But like, one thing I've seen a lot of in the pandemic is like, there seems to be like an increase in, in makeup tutorials and increase in hair tutorials. And like, even for curly haired people with like what type of products, like putting 10 products on your hair to get that curl spiral in the right way. And, um, and it still feels like we are somehow assimilating to something that is maybe, we, we own all of this, right? I mean, shit, Egyptians were straightening their hair and doing all kinds of things. So it's like, it's not that this isn't, but, it's still like part of our story, I think, to keep pushing forward in all of these different ways. Like, what risks are you taking? If you've spent 35 years of your, of your life straightening your hair, like, is, is it because you prefer it that way or you just think that that's the way you're gonna make it, make it ahead in your life and career? Ooh. That was a whole aside. That, we could have a whole, whole nother 90 minutes just on that. Okay. <laughs> because that is 
deep. Um, this has yeah. been such a pleasure and such an honor. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on to it's now called the Equality Matters podcast. Um, do you have any parting words for anyone who is like a white CEO looking to like start the diversity journey or a young woman of color who's who's just getting into the workplace and trying to figure everything out? Yeah. Ooh, this is such a beautiful time for us. This is just, there's no pandemic. There's no racism. There's no bullshit that can stand in our way. Like. <laughs> nothing ever stands in our yeah. way like it doesn't matter what the hell like just like dream of what you want from life and then go about getting it and when you see people it's like when you're working out at the gym like I had a, I've had to have hard talks with myself around the gym apparently but like part of it is like she has that body because she works out to this degree of intensity so I'm gonna have to mimic that to get that type of result that seems like a really basic scenario, right? Like a very basic way of understanding data. And, mm-hmm. But but we all do this where we make excuses. And if your life isn't the way that you want it to be, you got to start looking at yourself first. Energetically, how are you presenting? What are you attracting? Your partnerships, you know, if, if people in your family are creating disharmony in your life, then it's time to usher them to the side. Like, don't keep telling me about something that happened to you between you and your mom 10 years ago and your mom's not here. Like, what are you working on now? And then for the white fellas, like, do better. You guys are fucking up. Like, I am so not impressed, brother. Like, I don't care what lack of melanin you have. Like, this is not an excuse to act poorly. You've got power, you've got money, and you've got opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Impress me. Right, Kaya? Kaya said.